Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. I'm going to read to you from Philippians 3.12. This was our verse last Sunday that we focused on in regards to hope and the hope of uh, what it is to, to walk according to hope and the hope in Jesus, the hope and purpose, the hope and newness of life. And Paul says this, he goes, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. There's still work to be done. There's still more to be experienced. But I press on that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of good news in there. There's a lot of honesty in those verses. And it's honesty that pertains to all of us that in this walk, we have not obtained all of what it is that Jesus is doing in us and through us. It's a constant work. And that's the good news. The good news and what presses us forward and what keeps us moving forward is the promise that there is newness of life to be experienced, that the better days are ahead and not behind, and that despite us, God is still in us, transforming us and conforming us into the image of Jesus. It gives every day of your life purpose, And so we learned last week that to look at your imperfections spiritually, which I think all of us probably look at our weaknesses a lot more than we do our strengths. We understand our failures. We can even understand our sin. We can understand the things that we struggle with, and we can become full of shame or complacency or self-condemnation, whatever it is. This says you're not perfect. If anything, there's hope in your imperfection that those things, those issues can be healed, that you could be transformed and become new. But with that, I want to give you a little picture of what some of that newness will look like because you are a new creation. And that as you become more and more sanctified and more and more transformed into the image of Christ, it's going to look a certain way. And I think sometimes it's good to know what kind of lay ahead, like what are you working toward? Like what is it? How is this going to look? So I think a lot of us can believe that God has a purpose and that we're being transformed, but what does it like really look like practically on a day-to-day basis? What does our mind look like? How do we think? And we need that so that we can measure it against where we are now, but allow that to say, I want to keep moving because there's still a bunch of me in here. And that isn't always good. Well, it's usually not good. And so... Let's look at 1 Peter now. Let's go to chapter 5, verse 5. He's given instruction to the church, and he goes, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. But then he goes, Okay, not all, you're not, not all of you. There's some, you're not exempt, those of you that are older. Yes, all of you be submissive to who? I'm going to read that again. All of you be submissive. 
to one another and be clothed with humility. Okay. Yes. Thank you for that instruction, Peter. So good. (laughs) Cannot wait to submit myself to the knuckleheads around me. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot wait. Oh, thank you for that. Think about what he's saying, y'all. He's like, this is what it looks like. This is an aspect of our faith. This is an aspect of our identity that is being formed. And it looks like this. Humility looks like submission to one another, meaning you're making yourself subordinate to one another in order to serve them and to take care of them and to consider them more than yourself. And that you clothe yourself in humility, this lowliness of mind. Come on, this is so counter flesh. Oh my goodness. If there's one verse, this verse, that is so opposite of who we are and what this world is all about, it's that. It's one thing to help people, but to be submissive to people, oh, come on. I'm helping them because I'm better than them. Because I have the resources and they don't. I have the strength and they don't. Guys, come on. We, we gotta, a lot of things can be done without humility. It could actually feed pride. And I'm not trying to say this to make us feel bad, but this is a heart work. It's a heart work. And we can miss it because we may be so busy serving. But there's more. When he says clothed with humility, we have to understand this phrase, to be clothed, it translates, it's a rare word. And this word actually uh, referred to a slave putting on an apron before serving. So it's not just a humility t-shirt that you put on. Or tights. (laughs) Say humility. No, it it is a mindset, it is a posture, it is a view of yourself. To be clothed in humility is to clothe yourself as a servant, as a slave there, and as a slave, as a bondservant, whoever it was that was a servant and slave within the house knew it was not about them, it was about everybody else. This is extreme, So when Paul says, I have not already attained, but I keep pressing forward, there is probably a realization in him that he still wasn't there yet. Even though he was doing all of this, he knows this is hard and we only have hope because of the Holy Spirit in us. But it's still a mark. It's still an instruction. And what we're going to see, Peter is instructing his church, God's church. But see, he had firsthand experience with what this looks like, what this means, what it feels like. And he is writing from that place. You see, if we look at John 13, verse 5, let's read this. It said, after that, Jesus, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded or clothed with. So, who's ever heard about, who heard this account? Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Who did it at your wedding? 
There's a few people I know that they, that's part of the ceremony. They wash each other's feet. It's been made a very beautiful thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's more depth to what Jesus did than we truly understand. We have to put ourselves into the mindset of the culture at the time to understand the impact of what Jesus was doing. Because the only people that did this in the household were slaves. And so Jesus is literally clothing himself with humility, clothing himself as a slave by girding himself with a towel. He is adopting the position and even the outfit of a slave, of a servant. And he began to do the job of the lowest servant in the household. See, it was customary. It was customary because you know, people had sandals. They didn't have clothes, you know, shoes like we do. They were, it was dusty roads. It wasn't paved. I mean, their feet were dirty. It was a nasty job. It wasn't a beautiful job. It was nasty. This was a job only reserved for those that were slaves. And even some Jewish people, a lot of Jewish people said, you, you can't even make a Jewish slave do that because it's so beneath them. You see, this was unbelievable, like beyond what the disciples could even imagine. Jesus, whom they had been following for three years, who all their hope rested upon. See, Jesus all of a sudden began to do something that was, what? This is disgusting. How di- You can't do this. You are so far above this. What are you, you doing? It wasn't like, like, okay, yes, please wash my feet. And we also have to remember that among the 12 was Judas, whose feet were washed, who was about to betray Jesus, who had disowned Jesus in his heart. And Jesus was performing the low of the low act upon him by washing his feet. So do you see the picture? I can't even like create like an idea of what that would look like for us. But here Jesus decides to do this, and he clothes himself as a servant. Now, the disciples, I'm pretty sure, would have washed Jesus' feet if he asked. But even then, it was not allowed for a teacher to ask that of their disciple. But even if he did, they probably would have done it. But that would mean they, have, they would have to wash everybody's feet, so they weren't volunteering. It was inhumane almost. But yet Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. So Peter says, like I think all of us would say, he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? This can't be happening. This makes zero sense. And Jesus answered and said to him, what, am, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Wow. If Jesus came in this room and wanted to wash our feet, how many of you would readily accept that? No way! It's Jesus, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, my Savior, God. No way! I am so undeserving of that. No, you can't do this. This is an offense to me. Let me wash your feet. 
But yet, Jesus said, you don't understand, but you will after this. After the foot washing? No, after he died and rose again. They would begin then to understand what it was to love others in a way that you are serving them as Jesus served all of mankind by laying down his life. He became a curse, was hung on a tree, died, and rose again for all of us. And so he was demonstrating a mindset. He was demonstrating the kingdom of God. He was demonstrating what it is to reflect and be of the mindset of Jesus Christ, who came as a servant. Nothing is beneath you when you consider others better than yourselves and their need. I think we all could probably grow a little bit, but that's a good thing. But watch what Jesus says, though. This is so important because Peter was offended. It wasn't the act, it was who was doing it. He was offended. But watch what Jesus says. Jesus answered him. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. What? If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. They did not understand the fullness and the depth of this statement yet, but they would. But what does he say? He does, Jesus isn't saying, okay, well, then you need to wash my feet or you have no part with me. He's like, no, no, I need to wash you or you have no part with me. Let me say that again. I need to wash you or you have no part of me. Again, if you don't allow me to do this menial task, this task reserved for slaves and servants, a disgusting task, if you don't allow me to perform this on you, you have no part of me. Peter, like us, was struggling with a little bit of pride. He couldn't receive this from Jesus Jesus was too good for this. He couldn't receive this from Jesus. It takes humility to be able to allow Jesus to wash your feet. And it feels uncomfortable. You don't feel worthy. But sometimes in our unworthiness and our shame, we become prideful and we keep God at a distance and we keep his mercy and grace and love at a distance because it doesn't feel right to us. Somehow we feel like we have to earn it or do something for him instead of him doing something for us. And Jesus was demonstrating the most important principle in his kingdom is that he came first as a servant to love mankind and that he loved us before we loved him. And because God so loved the world, he sent his only son, right? He loved us first, and he has forgiven every bit of ugliness and sin in us if we allow him to. It's mind-blowing. If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And so Simon says, okay, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> Great, Peter. Way to go. It's not what he was asking. Don't tell him what to do. But again, he's still not understanding. This is pre-crucifixion and resurrection. They still weren't quite there yet. But Jesus was demonstrating something so incredibly important. Is that we, as followers of Jesus, are transformed into servants. 
and to those that consider others and their needs more important than ourselves. And it doesn't mean that you don't take care of your interests and your needs. He's not saying that. But he says, as you grow in him, the fruit of that is that you begin to consider others better or more. You esteem them more and better than yourself. And you begin to submit and subordinate yourself to these people around you out of love, out of care, out of a servant mindset that you cannot produce in your flesh. Only the spirit of God can. And so as Paul was pressing forward to lay hold of that, most of it had to do with how he's serving the kingdom of God by serving people. Serving people. But again, it starts with how we receive the love and grace and mercy of God. If your serving is somehow esteeming you and making you more favorable in the eyes of God, then that's pride. It's fake humility, right? It's false humility. But when you're broken, you're broken by grace. You're broken by allowing him to wash you and to forgive you and let his grace touch you in those places that you don't feel worthy of. I'm telling you, see, what begins to happen is your heart is broken. Your heart is broken. I dare say there's probably many of us in here that have these things in us that we still may be ashamed of, that we still struggle with, and we're not allowing God to forgive us. No, Jesus, you can't forget. This is too horrendous. I'm going to work it out on my own. I'm going to work it out on my own first. Well, if you don't allow me to wash you with my Holy Spirit and my forgiveness, then you have no part of me. That's pride. See, as we become more and more like Jesus, we are people that are able to receive grace and mercy with no strings attached and believe in it. And that leads to repentance and a change of mind and heart. And then it bears fruit. This is where it starts for all of us. This is why we remember every week through communion what it was that Jesus did for us. We have to receive that daily, like minute by minute, moment by moment. But as soon as we do not allow his grace to wash us and somehow say, no, I'm not worthy of that. You can't wash me. Let me fix it. We've lost. We've gone backwards. We're allowing the things behind to pull us backwards instead of forgetting them, receiving his grace and mercy, turning from those things and continue to move forward. And we become more and more like Jesus because of his spirit. Now, let's go back to 1 Peter. Verse 5. He continues, but he says this. God, so now do you see what this means? God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? Because only humble people can receive grace. <laughs> only humble people can receive grace. Only humble people can allow Jesus to wash their feet. Prideful people say, I, I can't do it. I need to earn it. I need to feel worthy. I need to serve you. Don't worry about me. Let me serve you. That's not how the kingdom of God works. It starts with Jesus. 
reaching out and loving you beyond what you can even fathom of what love means. It's a love that you can't describe. It's beyond knowledge. It's beyond knowledge. Human beings like to compartmentalize it or package it, and somehow we will still add our own flavor to that love, meaning that that can be pulled. Grace and mercy can be pulled if we continue misbehaving. And if we continue misbehaving, then we got to fix our behavior before that can be achieved. He's like, no, let me come to the dirtiest part of you and wash it clean. And you have to receive it or you have no part of him. This breaks right through any self-righteousness. Any. All of us are on equal footing, the same playing field. Every single one of us have to be washed daily. Every single one of us. And if we know how in need we are of his washing and receive it, guess what? We can't look out there and see sinful people and despise and hate them. Because Jesus actually died for them. He has served them through his death, whether they know it or not. And they have the opportunity to receive him for forgiveness of sin. But if we are turning our nose down towards them because they don't believe like us, act like us, behave like us, talk like us, then what are we doing? Then you haven't been washed. You haven't, then you haven't been washed. I'm only saying this because I think in this day and age, with seeing all this culture stuff, it's easy to get really angry, and it's okay to be angry and alarmed. But if your whole mission is despising those people and making sure everyone knows how ridiculous they are, you've missed it. Jesus died for you, and you were one of them. And he sees your heart, and he sees your struggles, and he still knows how much you need his grace. But if you stop receiving it and feel like you don't need it anymore, then you're not walking the walk. Your walk is laced with grace and kindness. Jesus, know who he posed the most? The Pharisees, the religious, the self-righteous, who would place all these burdens on people but not lift a finger themselves. They looked great on the outside, but their hearts were far from the Lord. So, why am I saying this? Because as we grow, we're going to look more and more like this. I don't want God to resist us, meaning he's trying to give us grace, but we're too prideful. And he is never going to apply grace when you're saying, I, I don't need it. I don't need it. See, he wants to break your heart. So, so, so see, he's not going to keep forwarding you. Like He's not going to keep pushing you forward into purpose until you get to that place of, I need Jesus so bad. I don't even feel like I deserve it right now. The things that I am struggling with, I am so ashamed. I'm so ashamed of my thoughts. I'm, like, you know your thoughts. You know your private behavior, not your public behavior. And if you don't allow Jesus to come to that place and allow him to wash you and say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Now pick up your mat and walk. It's huge. The only chance the world has of seeing Jesus is through us, the church. But we have to be humbled. He, said, but he gives grace to the humble. And this is what he says. 
In verse 6. So he goes, therefore, with all this, I've just said, humble yourselves under where? The mighty hand of God. Because you can't be humble before others if you don't humble yourself before God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may then what? Exalt you in due time. So it starts with the intention of humbling yourself under God, saying, I need you to wash me clean. I need you to help me with my sin. I need you because I can't do it on my own, but I'm trusting in your grace and mercy. Even though I don't feel like I deserve it and I can't believe you would do this for me, I'm receiving it. I'm humbling myself under your mighty hand saying, I can't do it without you, but I have to receive what it is that you are offering that is grace and mercy. And then he exalts you. (laughs) Then you walk with a sense of purpose. That's why the foot washing was such an important event. He was exercising an act that would be all-encompassing of what he would do by washing the sins of the world away through his death, but by us also and how we would serve each other and then serve others. And then we need to allow, and this is a whole nother message, others to serve us. Many of us don't like help. And we can say, well, you know, whatever it is, it's pride. Um, I just, I'm just, it makes me uncomfortable because you're prideful. <laughs> Let someone help you. When you are the recipient of a love that makes you uncomfortable, it breaks your heart. And when you are the one giving it, it breaks your heart, but fills you with a sense of life and purpose. And he says, so therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting, we say, all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Look how he has structured the instruction. He said, humble yourself and submit to one another. Clothe yourself with humility. It's like, oh my gosh, that's heavy. Yeah, he knew it. Yes, he's like, "Uh uh-huh. But this is how you get there. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You receive grace from God and mercy from God. You allow the gospel to wash you every day and you receive it and you don't put yourself beyond it or above it. You receive it. And then you move. You move, first of all, by saying, Lord, now that I've received this, I'm going to cast all my care up on you and that even feels wrong. I need to do it all. I need to take care of this. He said, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. There's another layer of pride. Okay, I can receive forgiveness, but I can't really ask for help because I'm still a mess. He doesn't really care for me that much. So I'll receive forgiveness, but still work out my life and everything on my own. No, he's like, cast your care, all your care. And I looked up all, and it means all. For he cares for you, and that is how humility is demonstrated. By every day, Lord, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See, Jesus' prayer models this. And then we walk day to day knowing that God cares for you despite what you think of yourself and what you know you struggle with. You have to receive his mercy and grace. And that kindness will lead to repentance. It's a change of heart. 
And the Holy Spirit will begin to transform you. This is what it looks like as we press forward and onward. That's what lie ahead. And none of us are finished. Watch what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, if you receive any of this from Christ, any of it, have you? I don't know. Have you received comfort? Have you received mercy and affection and love? Have you experienced his Holy Spirit in you that testifies that God is so real? If any of this has touched your heart, what does he say? He goes, now, this is what it leads to. This is what it produces. He's like, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, meaning that it can, or conceit, which means it can, And no one likes to receive help from a conceited person. But in what? Lowliness of mind, humbleness of mind, humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And where does the others start? It's behind you, in front of you, around you. This is how we experience the love of Christ on a whole new level is how we serve and love one another. See, we're a living and breathing organism. We grow in life as we serve and love one another. We don't grow in life by sitting in rows and just listening. We grow by how we love each other and how we look out for one another. And then if we can't do it here, how do we do it out there? Right? So, this is where it starts. He says, if you had any experience with his joy, I mean, with his mercy and grace, any experience with his love, you can complete that by beginning to say, all right, Lord, open my eyes to the needs of others. No matter what they are, I am available. Despite what I think of them, I believe offense gets so in the way sometimes of Christians that they can't love and serve because they keep holding something against somebody and then they're missing out on life because they're holding that offense. Judas was among the 12 whose feet Jesus was washing. You see? He didn't withhold it because he knew what he would do. He didn't withhold And some of you just need to hear that. Some of you are holding an offense. And God is like, stop it. Love them. Serve. Consider them. I don't know what that looks like, but it might start with praying for them. Asking God for help. Because I think if you've been part of church any amount of time, you know that a fence runs rampant and deep. We get so offended so easy in the body of Christ and use that as justification to not love. And I dare say, remember how God has forgiven you, right? He's forgiven you despite you. And yes, he might be, he has all the right in the world to be frustrated with you, but he chooses not to be, right? 
So how can we hold that against others? Let him wash you. Admit that you need mercy and grace. And receive it. And don't be afraid of it. And then now watch what Jesus says. Back to foot washing, back to verse 10. After he has washed their feet, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed only needs to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. He's speaking to Judas. For he knew who would betray him before he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taking his garments uh, and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? They're like, yeah, it's a little awkward and uncomfortable. He's like, yeah, I know what you're thinking. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord, he's speaking to us now. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's speaking beyond just feet. I'm not going to bust out some basin and have us all wash each other's feet. Yes, I know. <laughs> but, but do you see what he's saying? You also need to serve others as I have served you. And this kind of service made you totally uncomfortable. And it seemed beneath you. It seemed beneath me. And it's not. You're my servant. You follow me. This is what it's going to look like. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, but yet don't we always tend to act greater than our master? We don't serve as Jesus served because at some level we have not been washed to the core of who we are for whatever reason. But I dare say, if you are at a whole new level, guess what begins to happen? He knocks on the door. And he is seen by the ring app, and he comes in, and he transforms you. That was perfect timing, by the way. You did. That was right on cue, man. We talked all week about that. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Wow. But does it make sense? Do you see how it starts? This is where it starts. The self-recognition, the acknowledgement that you need Jesus, no matter how bad you think you are, are unhelp, like you're beyond help. And so you've stopped receiving forgiveness and you're just burying yourself in shame. He's like, stop it, stop. I've died for you. You are forgiven completely. Allow me in and I will transform you. And in Matthew 23, 11, he says this, but he who is greatest among you shall be your what? Would you dare say that's a counterculture statement? (laughs) He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And not just serving the people you really like, but serving all who God commands you to serve. And whoever exalts, exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be what? Yes, Do you see how purpose is always ahead of us? Once you get this, opportunity is everywhere. Everywhere. 
That's why you're going to hear this over and over again. As a church, you have to know your days are numbered. You don't know when you're going to take your last breath or when he's going to call you home. So you find purpose. Yes, there may be something that it looks like and it may have a title later on in life. But ultimately, your purpose is to love and serve those around you. That's an everyday, every week type of purpose. And it starts in your family and then it works outward to the church family and the outside of here. It's where it starts. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but God does. But do you know you're forgiven? I hope you do. Have you received his forgiveness? I hope you have. Some of you need to forgive some people in here. Some of you are holding on to some unforgiveness, which means you haven't been broken by grace and know that you weren't deserving of forgiveness, but Jesus loved you despite that. You're called to forgive and then to serve and to love and to clothe yourself with humility and submit yourself to others that you wouldn't dare submit in regular, in real life, but with the Spirit of God, He creates a desire to do that and it all works together. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for your, Lord, for your forgiveness and I know, Lord, we say that and we, we pray that and we are thankful, but Lord, there's a depth of mercy and washing that some of us have not received. And Lord, I believe all of us struggle with that at some reason. Either we don't think we need it or we cannot receive it because of what we've been taught. Lord, I pray that your spirit of mercy and grace would move through this sanctuary and that each person, each heart here would have a revelation of your perfect love for them despite them. Lord, help them receive it. And they don't even know, they don't even, Lord, just help them. Not, I feel like some people are like, what is this going to make me do? What's this going to look like? Lord, I pray that you just clear their mind and just let them be in the moment right now to receive the mercy of God, your mercy. Allow your mercy. Lord, I pray that your spirit would give them the ability to allow you to wash their feet and allow you to wash them clean, maybe for the first time to walk in newness out of this door today into this world. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. Your love never fails. Lord, we are assured of your love and your grace and mercy every day. And we thank you, Lord, and we receive it. We receive it today, Jesus. Thank you, our Savior, our Lord, our King, Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.